0: So, a lot of people have been asking me what the hieroglyphics are on the, on the fridge fold. That is the, the phonetics of resolved. Resolved is a cool word. It uh, means determined, resolute, decided, firm, and purposeful. All words that I think those who are followers of Christ should embody. You know, this time of year, New Year's, people uh, all around the world make New Year's resolutions. They uh, make New Year's resolutions that they want to be fitter, or they want to quit smoking, or they want to uh, be more productive, or they want to be more charitable. But the reality about New Year's resolutions are only about 8% of all New Year's resolutions ever uh, are resolved to to the vision that the person had. 92% of all New Year's resolutions fail. And you might ask yourself the question, why? Why is that? And it really comes down to one word, and that's support. In this new year, in this uh, new building, in this new chapter of, of E3, my prayer is that this is going to be a place of support because, when somebody makes a New Year's resolution and joins with others along in their journey toward uh, the vision that God has for life, their life, then that eight percent turns into a sixty-six percent success rate. Still, you know, not a hundred percent, but your chances are a lot better. And. I just want to let you know just uh, as we've been working together the past couple of weeks that, that my New Year's resolution is, is really to uh, resolve ourselves to, the, uh, to coming alongside one another and coming alongside our guests who are coming next week to really encourage them and equip them and edify them in their journey to becoming fully devoted Followers of Christ. Now, uh, encouraging or equipping, encouraging and edifying people. Those aren't just uh, words that are pulled out of of the air. And even though they're three E's, it, it's not E three, right? Uh, it's actually these three E's: these, uh, this equip, this encourage, this edify, uh, are are three things that. You know what, our primary kind of uh, activities of the church, and they're taken out of three scriptures that I want to share with you this morning. The first one is found in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. And this is the equip. And it's talking about pastors and teachers and leaders in the church. That it's our responsibility to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. The first thing that as a church that that we're called to do, especially those who are teachers or pastors or or leaders in the church or who have influence in the church is to use our influence to equip people to navigate the pitfalls of life, to navigate the, the, the struggles and the barriers that the world throws up in order to prevent people from living out the life that God has envisioned for them. The next one, encourage, is found in Romans chapter 1 and verse 12. And Paul writes, When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. But I love the comma in the next statement. But I also want to be encouraged by yours. And Really this this picture of our church when we come together, yeah, I want to encourage you, but I want you guys to encourage me that that we all need encouragement to to we encourage one another by our activity, we encourage others by our generosity, we encourage one another by our words. Steve Metz pulled me aside uh, yesterday, and he said some encouraging words to me and those are private between him and i but but you know what just coming alongside and and just speaking words of life into one another and say you know keep on going encouraging you to take that one more step and then the last one to edify found in first corinthians chapter eight and verse one while knowledge makes us feel important right who doesn't like you know and butt in Jeopardy, right? It makes us feel important. But it's love that edifies or strengthens the church. One thing that, that that's, a, that's a problem, I think, in the American church is that Christians are educated way beyond their obedience level. That they're educated way beyond their edification. Way beyond their love. And there's just something Magical that happens when we take even the little knowledge that we have, the little knowledge that, that that Christ has given us, and we put it into practice. And you know what happens when we do that? That God multiplies that and miracles start to happen. So welcome to E3. Welcome to E3 Capital Circle. Welcome to a new chapter in the life of our church. And I just want you to be equipped. I want you to be edified. And I want you to be encouraged. But you know what I want even more? Especially next week as we open up our doors and we invite people in. Our church needs to be equippers. That our church and everyone here, when I say the church... We need to be edifiers. We need to strengthen people. And our church, you, I, everyone here in this room this this morning, that we need to be encouragers. Because those who will be coming next week, that's what they're going to be looking for. You know, they can get music anywhere. They can get teaching anywhere. But they cannot find what the church is meant to do, and that's equipping, edifying, and encouraging them to take one more step to live out the vision that God has for life, to say, don't give up. God has a plan for you. Over the past week, literally thousands of hours have been put into this space. There's been 50 plus people working here from morning and far into the evening. And hopefully you got a chance to walk around and see some of the new space. And if you uh, looked around, you can see that obviously the work is not done yet. And next week, we're going to have a lot of guests coming in. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do through your generosity. The generosity has already been shown through your generous financial gifts, through your generous time gifts, and your your generous uh, talent gifts. That, you know what, all these investments are going to have a return, and the return in people's life. So today I want to start a conversation about our resolve Our resolve, our steadfastness, our passion to change the spiritual temperature in our city and, by extension, our world. And I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles into 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to start in verse 19. And this is one of my favorite scriptures that just really talk about our calling as followers of Christ and what we are meant to be about. Paul starts out and, and talks about just kind of the vision that, that God has for his followers. And in verse 9, Paul says this, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Here Paul reveals his passion. He reveals his passion to bring many to Christ. The word passion uh, has, a, has a beautiful history, the etymology of it. Uh, the word passion comes from pathos. And pathos means to suffer. So pathologists, they study suffering, right? So Passion comes from the word, or passion comes from the word pathos. In 12th century theologians, that they they uh, coined the phrase passion, which actually means a willingness to suffer. And I have a passion question that I I ask people about, you know, to find their passion. I'm like, what are you willing to suffer for? You know, this week we've seen a lot of people willing to suffer, willing to go without sleep willing to go without maybe some things that they've been saving their money for, willing to suffer in order for us to be able to be here today and have the lights on and, and the sound going and, and parking signs and all that kind of stuff. That, that people have been willing to suffer that, uh, for that. And what Paul is saying is, you know what his passion is? You know what he's willing to suffer for? Is to bring many to Christ. And and really, Paul is just living out the legacy that, that Jesus established. Because the reality is that we are God's passion. That God is willing to suffer for us. And we know this because of, his, because of Jesus Christ, who, who came. And he was willing to suffer by uh, walking this earth as humans, to be nailed on the cross, being separated from community with his his father. That he had a willingness to suffer because of his passion for you and I. And that's our legacy as followers of Christ that, that we have a legacy of passion for people. People who have lost their way. People who are far from God. To say, you know what? I am willing to suffer for people that I don't even know. In order to make room for them. In order to make a way to invite them into hearing the good news in a meaningful and understandable way. Even though Paul was free, he made himself a slave to bring many to Christ. And in the next part, he brings some clarity by bringing some examples. In verse 20 he says, When I was with the Jews... I live like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. And then check out this. He switches and says, When I was with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too lived apart from the law. So I could bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? Love. Love and grace. Here Paul is giving these two clarifying examples and clarifying clarifying, uh, clarification of purpose. He's saying, you know what? I did not come to perpetuate a certain kind of religious system or worship. He said, you know what, when I was with the the Jews, I ate gefilte fish and drank Madnesschevitz wine. And when I was with the Gentiles, I ate pulled pork and drank Budweiser. Because it doesn't matter. What matters is that people understand that they matter to God. And because they matter to God and because I'm a follower of Christ, they matter to me. And I am willing to become a slave even though I am free. I am willing to suffer because I have the same passion that Jesus had for his creation. He goes on and talks about his resolve in in, in verse 22. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. Paul here is clarifying his purpose. Paul here is clarifying. That, that he is about the good news. That he is willing to find common grounds with anyone. I wish that, that the churches and, and, and we as followers of Christ, that we would keep this in the forefront of our mind. That, that we are actively looking for common grounds with people who are not, do not share our faith finding common ground, say, hey, we speak this common language in music or we speak this common language in art or we speak this common language, uh, you know, in in our passion for for children or people and join alongside and build the relational right with other people in order to speak truth to them he was not interested in perpetuating a system of worship or a a system of religion. And then in verse 24, he he paints a picture of being intentional and how we as followers of Christ are to be intentional in, in our purpose. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step that he's intentional with everything he does. He's not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. I love this uh, just kind of section of scripture. Uh, I believe that Paul was a raving sports fan, that he, he loved sports. He uses sports analogies all the time. And I love this one that he's actually, uh, he's in Corinth here. And in Corinth was uh, held what was called the Isthmus games. And that was one of the four major games of the ancient world. You know, we have like the Super Bowl or the or the College World Series or uh, the NBA playoffs or, or different things like that that, you know what, we changed the pattern of our lives to watch it. Well, in the ancient world, it was no different that they had four major games. And one of these games, major games, was in the city of Corinth. And this is where... He's writing this letter, so he obviously, you know, this is resonating with people. And in the Ispius Games, uh, uh, it featured wrestling. It also featured uh, boxing. It also it featured chariot racing. But the biggest event of all was the running race. And, and the Ispius Games... Uh, was different than all other games in the ancient world because it was open to any free person, any free man, as long as they were willing to submit themselves to 10 months of rigorous training and strict dietary laws. And he's talking about this, and, and when he's saying, look, they run the race, they run it with purpose, they do it with purpose, in every single step that he's he's. Touching into this kind of collective sports mentality of the of the church in Corinth, and in Corinth there was this huge uh, arena where uh, uh, archaeologists uh, believe that up to a hundred thousand people could could watch a running race in this in this arena, and in the middle of the arena was this oval track. It was six hundred and six feet long. And so that's about two football fields. And in the middle of that track was three columns. In the first column, it said um, excel. And in the next column, it said hasten. And then at the far column, it said turn. Because it was not a straight race, it was an oval. And I I love this, you know, this, you know, that this idea of of this race and and this idea of you know encouragement along the way. That when they start out on the race that they they see the word excel. Get up to speed. And as they were running and and they were going along and they were maybe saying, okay, I'm going I'm a little bit tired, I'm gonna settle down a little bit, they would come up to the next column where it would say, hasten to keep on moving to to quicken your step and then to get to the 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 to the end or where it looks like it's the end when they see this pillar it says turn and then when they turn and they're coming back they see the same columns again but the columns mean something different now that the word hasten doesn't mean Hasten that you're just beginning the race, but hasten you are continue you're coming toward the end. And then you come to that final column where it says excel, sprint to the finish. Have a passion to win, be willing to suffer for a little bit longer in order to achieve the prize. When I think about this stadium or this arena, I often think that the the excel, the hasten and the turn is a lot like our church's purpose statement of make mature and mobilize fully devoted followers of Christ. It's taken from the Great Commission. And this idea that our first column is make. That's the beginning point where we're, we're making room for those to investigate the claims of Christ. And then at the next column, that we come to is mature. Because, you know what, it's not just about a salvation, it's about a journey in growing in Christ, and growing in His likeness, to being a fully devoted follower of Christ, and us coming along and equipping and encouraging and edifying people to be matured in their faith. And then we come to the, the, the final column before we turn, and it says mobilize. And I think a lot of times we get confused, we as followers of Christ, or at least the church in America, that they think that getting people to church is the goal. They think that's the finish line. It's almost like in the Isthmus games that, that they, they started off with the Excel, and they hit the hasten, but they, they misread the turn sign, and they thought it said finish, or they didn't even bother. And they got there, and they're like, yes! And they wonder why no one is cheering for them. The goal for a follower of Christ is not to end up in a church somewhere. But the goal is to be mobilized into service, mobilized into generosity. Generosity. Mobilized to become teachers and encouragers and edifiers and equippers of the next generation of followers of Christ. And as we turn that corner on mobilization, that we're coming back, we once again see our columns that say mature. And yeah, that's a personal maturity, but that's also, you know what, we're bringing others along with us. And then As we start to see the end of the race, we see that final column that says, make, make fully devoted followers of Christ and leave a legacy. You see, church, we're not the beginning and we're not the end. That our passion is from the legacy of Christ's passion of willing to suffer So people can have the opportunity to be in an everlasting relationship with Christ. It's what we do. And I believe when when we finish the race, that we may hear two things if we run the race well. The first one is as as we finish, our Lord and our Savior will say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. But the second thing that I hope to hear is someone saying, Thank you for running the race. Thank you for making and maturing and mobilizing fully devoted followers of Christ. It's because of your passion that I am here today. And we can be in fellowship with God and each other for eternity. Will you guys pray with me? Dear God, I just uh, thank you for this new space. God, you provide. You always provide. And God, I am just excited for next week as we invite new people into a journey toward you. God, I just pray that we will use all of our time and our talent and treasures to be equippers and edifiers and encouragers of people on their journey. God, that we will run the race and we will run it well. That we will excel, that we will hasten, and we will not stop at the turn, but we will turn and hasten again and excel toward the finish to hear those words from you. From our Savior who had a passion for us. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen.